that. Well, there are five P's uh, for the guy who decides to date my daughter. Now, Deb and I don't have daughters, but I thought this was good. This is by a man named Chris from the Lincoln Heights Christian Church in Phoenix, Arizona. And so for you that do have daughters at home, here are the five P's for the guy that dates my daughter. Number one, be punctual. Be punctual. That means when you come up to the house, uh, that's 10 minutes early. If you're coming to the house at 5 o'clock, then, then be there at 4.50 because that's on time. Be punctual. And another thing, don't blow the horn. No, don't blow the horn. In, in fact, for today, don't text. You just go ahead and come up and ring the doorbell. And that's, uh, that's punctual. Ring the doorbell and come on in. Number two is the place. Place is the second P. And that is be where you said you were going to be. If you said that you're going to, then that's where you're going to be. And if you two think that that's not happening and you want to go somewhere else, you call the house and you ask permission to go somewhere else. Okay, so it's the place. The third one is to protect, to protect. Since she was born, uh, my job as her dad has been to protect her. And someday her husband will have that responsibility. While she lives with me, her date and I will share that responsibility. You are to protect my daughter and keep her safe on that date. Number four is purity. You keep my daughter pure. I can't be with her every moment, so I'm uh, trusting that you and my daughter, I'm trusting you with her purity. Jesus commands it. Jesus demands it. And I need you, I need to tell you what she and I have decided about her purity. And so that's the fourth P. Number five is point her to Jesus. Point her to Jesus. If you're committed to helping her grow closer to Jesus, then the other four P points are going to fall into place naturally. And so Jesus is the most important relationship that she has in her life, and you point her to Jesus. All right, gang, let's turn in our scriptures to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be looking at 27 through 30 in just a moment. Now the screen says, lust and lasciviousness. Uh, if you're taking notes, you can write down the, the title, God's will for you. God's will for you. That's what, that's what I want you to write down because every single one of us have had lust in our life at one time or another. That's right. I know that. I acknowledge that. And so I want you to say God's will for my life. And so we'll look at that in just a moment. As I open up this message, I just want to ask the question, what's your go-to? What is your go-to? What's your initial reflex when you go through a difficult time, when you are really having a frustrating day, when you're under the trial, when you're under pressure, and you feel like you need to escape? What is your go-to? Hollywood will tell us through movies and through commercials on television that if you've had a hard day, you need alcohol. Uh, if you, you think life is unfair to you, Hollywood through movies tells us you need to do drugs. Yeah, and, and, and millions of people do drugs. 
And then if, if, if you've been working too hard, you know what you need, and, and it, it fills the uh, materialism bill, uh, you need to go shopping. You deserve it. Now, you know that your credit card can't take it, and you know that you shouldn't, but I deserve it. Yeah, I deserve it. And, and so I've been working hard, and, and, I, and you go out and spend and buy things you don't need, spending money you don't have. And so you've got an unmet expectation in your life. You've got pain in your life. Uh, no one will pay attention to you. You need to have an affair. And that's what people do. People ruin their families. They, they ruin their church family. They ruin their own spirit, their own soul when they live this way. Uh, there was a uh, survey done, 61% of couples, now this is couples that were surveyed, 61% said that 16 inappropriate photos of yourself to someone else, they said that is infidelity. Couples. That is infidelity. You're unfaithful to your spouse by sexting uh, inappropriate photos to someone else. I want to know how in the world did the 39% think that that was okay? How did they think that was okay? And by the way, because of a, a class, a seminar that you were invited to go to in town about a year ago, and I and some of you went to that, uh, when you send inappropriate uh, nude pictures or whatever, uh, through sexting and you delete it, uh, the police department says it's not deleted. It's only deleted on your phone. That when we catch you, we can go back and we can find all the photos because they're not really deleted. Think about that. And then, uh, for you that are dating and you have sent these inappropriate photos to the person you're dating, guess what? When that dating is over and you broke up, and you've deleted yours, they did not delete theirs. And they show them to friends, and they email them, they, they text them around, and they show the world uh, you, and you can't get rid of that stuff. And so, I want to talk about, of course, growing in the Holy Spirit, and that we should not live the way we did before we became Christians. We should not live like that. And so uh, we struggle with things in life and we lust and, and we practice lasciviousness. And I want us to grab hold of the teaching and the idea that we want to grow in the Holy Spirit of God. That's where I want you to go in life. That's how I want you to blossom. That's how I want you to mature in Jesus Christ. All right, so let's, let's go ahead and read our text. The text is Matthew chapter 5, 27 through 30. Now, understand where we've been for two months. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached that day and taking little snippets, sections of Scripture, and today it's lust and lasciviousness. Verse 27, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Who said that? Jesus, exactly. Verse 29, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it out from you. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body 
to go into hell. Boy, this is a powerful, this is a powerful statement, a powerful text. Lust in our culture is a dirty word. Uh, it, but it's not always been that way. We, a cleaner word would be, we crave something. You, you say, I, I crave something. You say that, uh, I want something. But then there's that word called wanton, or wantonness. And that's, that's following along the lines of lust again. Webster says that lust is pleasure, delight, an intense longing. And we know in our culture it's an intense eager to be with sexual desire. Lasciviousness is wantonness, lewd, lustful, making out passionately. So you can, you can justify things in your mind and say, well, we weren't having sex, but you were petting. You were doing all the lustful things leading up to sex. And so it creates lustful feelings. What happens when we've trained our mind and our heart to these things that we constantly want, we constantly crave, we constantly lust? We're in trouble, aren't we? The good, the bad, the ugly of this. Did you know that there's a good usage of the word lust? It's in the Bible. Well, it doesn't surface lust, but the Greek word is epithomia. Try to say that three times fast. Epithomia. And it, it's lust. Look, look how Jesus used it. In Luke twenty two fifteen, 15, uh, when Jesus was instituting the Lord's Supper on the night of his betrayal, I have earnestly desired, there it is, epithomia, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And then Paul used it in Philippians 1, 23, I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ uh, or to, for that to stay here, which is very far much better. But there it is. That word desire is epithomia, and it is, it is that word lust. And so at one time, it simply meant desire. And in our culture, it's graduated, and it, it means the sexual connotation that we're lusting after something. In Matthew, he's talking about uh, looking at people of the opposite sex to lust after them. Um, you know, America, we pick on America a lot because of our sins in America. But America is not the first country to struggle with lust and lasciviousness. In fact, they all have struggled with it. But my illustration today is Rome. Rome, Italy. And uh, Will Durant wrote a book entitled... Caesar and Christ. Boy, that's a fine print book. It's thick. It's a tall book. And it's, it's, a, it's a great read. It's just, so, it's just so much of it, it's hard to get through that book. But nevertheless, listen, listen. He taught about Roman civilization leading up to and, and beyond the time of Christ in Italy. But he talks about the Caesars. For this illustration today, two Caesars. There's Caesar Octavius, and there's Caesar Augustus. And, and you see, they would have made, in my opinion, they would have made good Democrats because they were always wanting to give things to Italy, and it got them in trouble. And so they gave them free money, they gave them the theater, they gave them the public games, and we read about their society. Augustus saw what Rome had become 
because they, they were a do-as-you-please society, and the government fed that. And, and, and he, he tried to change it. Augustus tried to create laws that were going to better his country because he saw they were going down the tubes. And the citizens, what he wanted out of the citizens, he wanted them to start marrying and having children. That's what he wanted. Why? Why would a pagan Caesar, why would a pagan Caesar of a pagan country care about whether you married or not? Well, because promiscuity and open sex had become so popular and prevalent that women didn't want to get married, and they, they didn't want to have families. In America, we uh, would call that footloose and fancy free. Footloose and fancy free. In other words, I don't want to answer to anyone. I don't answer to anyone. And Rome was, in a sense, dying from within, and Caesar Augustus recognized it. The weakening of the family, the family structure, was the hope of Rome. Durant said in his book on page 221, said of Augustus, he destroyed his own happiness by trying to make people good as well as happy. It was an imposition that Rome never forgave him for. That is, trying to create laws. He was trying to create morality in Rome by creating laws. And so, uh, moral reform is the most difficult and delicate branch of statesmanship. Few rulers have ever attempted it. They have left it to hypocrites and saints. But governments will not legislate morality. They will not create laws. Sure, they create laws to help their citizens, and they create laws to help the innocent, but to create moral laws on the books, even in America, we know it doesn't work. It doesn't work. In page 222, a large part of the older generation agreed with Augustus. It, it, it formed a kind of Puritan party eager to reform morals by laws. The, the older generation had already made the younger generation's mistakes, and they outgrew that. They got out of it, and they were supporting Augustus. In page uh, 224, Tacitus a Roman historian a century later pronounced the laws of failure. A hundred years after Augustus, he said those laws on the books are a failure. Marriages and the rearing of children did not become frequent. So powerful are the attractions of a childless state. It gets back to, I'm accountable to no one. I will do as I please. Immorality continued, and Augustus himself doubted the efficacy of his own laws, and he agreed with Horace. Remember Horace was the Roman poet? He agreed with Horace that the laws are vain unless the heart is changed. Did you hear that? The laws are vain unless the heart is changed. This is important. This is significant. Rome, like America, tried to legislate morality without the conversion of the soul, without the conversion of the heart. And that, my friends, is why Jesus is the only answer for America. Because Jesus can change the heart. Jesus can transform the man. He can transform the woman. And America needs to repent, and it begins with the church. And the church needs to repent, 
And the church needs to stop sleeping around. The church needs to repent and love our families, love God, love our church. And then that, that, that beautiful text that says, mind your own business. You have no business with somebody else's wife. You have no business with somebody else's husband. You have no business in living an immoral life and thinking that you're okay with it. Jesus is preaching reform, morality, and laws. Listen, uh, Jesus is the answer. Remember that bumper sticker that was out years ago, Jesus is the answer? And someone poking fun at it wrote, uh, what's the question? And, and the question is, how can we have a good country again? How can we have morality again? Let Jesus change your heart. Give your life to Christ. And Jesus Christ will scratch where you itch. It's not only about laws. It's a changing of men and women and young people's hearts. Jesus can forgive sin. Jesus can give us a new life. Do we mess up? Do we have failure in our life? Yes, every one of us. We mess up. Sure we do. The government can only give you free cheese, free bread, free money, free programs, free birth control, but government cannot change the heart. Uh, do what you want to do. Our government will support do what you want to do. I can't believe what's going on in the major cities in America and the government is supporting. Well, well one part of the government wants to put an end to do what you want to do. And another part of the government says, no, we can't do that. Let them, let them be. Let them do as they please. It's killing us, isn't it? Do what you want to do. And if social ills happen, well, we'll create a social program that'll fix it. If you get a sexually transmitted disease, ah, don't worry about it. We'll create a pill. Science is God. And the idea or the concept that there is a God, that idea is dead. Now, God's not dead, but the idea of God in America is dying. It's dying. We break all the rules, and we wonder why we're not happy. The scriptures have a lot to say about lust because it affects the soul. It destroys our witness. It deadens the heart. It robs us of our salvation. To be free from social ills and sexual disease and depression, live by Jesus' teachings and let Jesus heal your heart. So, what does the text mean? One of the things we can lust for, Jesus nails it down, one of the things we can lust for is adultery, if you're married, and a fornication if you're single. While we lust for power, we lust for position, we lust for authority, we can lust for chocolate. We can lust for coffee. We can lust, and, and I have to admit, I, I, I'll tell you right off the bat that I've lusted, and I'll tell you what my sin was. Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> oh, I assure you that my problem with sin is like your problem with sin in my past. But man, oh man, Krispy Kreme donuts. I knew where every store in the South, in North Carolina and Virginia was. And anytime I was going to the hospital or going or coming home, I was stopping in for a Krispy Kreme donut. Yeah, I know what lust is. Paul said, I will not be mastered by anything. 
1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. The Jewish rabbis taught that if you uh, haven't carried out the act of adultery, you're, you're guiltless, you're okay. In America, we say, if I haven't been caught, then I'm okay. And the fact is, Jesus said it's a matter of the heart. It's not limited to adultery. It's not limited to fornication. If we lust, we have committed adultery uh, with that person in our heart already. Galatians 5.19 says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. Jesus himself spoke of it this way. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, in verses 18, 19, and 20. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things, Jesus says, that defile the man. It's a good list. We're already an adulterer if we have lusted after the flesh. And so uh, we rent uh, movies that have a rating and we know what we're renting. We know what we're streaming when we see the rating. And we know what content our lustful soul is desiring. We should be more selective. It might be a magazine, it might be a real person, it might be our society is out of control, it might be what people are putting on their cell phone and sending out to someone, it might be um, TikTok. You know, my niece uh, sent out the most beautiful thing from her church about praise and put it on TikTok. And I, I looked at it and man, I just, I loved it and I didn't know what TikTok was. And I'm glad that there's some praise on TikTok, but I'm going to tell you what, there's a lot of trash on TikTok. There's a lot of stuff you just don't need to look at because it's all about this lust and lasciviousness. And so we, we want to look at some scriptures. I want you to turn uh, over to Proverbs. And I want you to go in Proverbs to chapter 4. And so it's going to be some reading. Go ahead and turn to chapter 4, and we're going to look at 23. And I want to get into chapter 5, so we're going to stay right here. We're going to stay right here. In Proverbs 4, in 23 through 26, it says this, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Yeah. You're not happy? Well, what have you let into your heart? The springs of life is your soul. It's your attitude. Verse 24, Put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put devious speech far from you. 25. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. 26. Watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion, and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. That's a, that's a bitter herb, a gall. Sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. 
Her steps take hold of Sheol. Sheol, the place of departed spirits. Let's go over to verse 15 through 23. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and, and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always in her love. You know what that is literally? Exhilarated? It's intoxicated. Be intoxicated with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated, intoxicated with an adulteress? And embrace the bosom of a foreigner. For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction. And in uh, the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. Wow, what powerful food for thought in this. Do you know what the uh, Greek word for fornicate is? To have sex when you're not married? Yeah, it's pornea. Pornea? What English word do you remember that might come out of pornea? Porn. Exactly right. Exactly right. So what are we going to do? Jesus illustrates what we're going to do. Uh, he, see, he shows us the seriousness of this in verses 29 and 30 when he said, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it uh, from you, for it's better for you to lose uh, one of the parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And so Jesus isn't asking us to cut out our eyes this morning. Well, yes, he is. It sure sounds like it. No, no, he's not asking us. He, he's illustrating to show us the seriousness of our sin, and we should take our sin serious. Listen, if you've got a problem with stealing, you, you're always swiping a pack of gum at the store or something like that. Uh, he's not asking you to cut off your hands. He's asking us to repent. Can, can you not imagine someone that got caught stealing in a foreign country and they cut their hand off? And they get caught stealing again and they cut off the other hand? I, I could just see this guy going up to the uh, apple cart and grabbing an apple with his teeth and, and, and shoving it with the stub of his arm. You can sin no matter what you do to your body. You can gorge your eyes out and steal lust. We can be in trouble. Wisdom says... Left unchecked, sinful thoughts and desires become actions. What you think on, what we dwell on, what we meditate on, give time to, will become actions. And by the, that time, we will justify it, going against our conscience and the will of God. Listen, if you are going against the will of God, if you are lusting after the world, Jesus doesn't have your heart. Yeah, but I gave my heart to Christ when I was, and you named the age. I just said that if you're lusting after the things of the world, Jesus doesn't have your heart now. Give him your heart today. Getting rid of the eye or hand is figurative language. He didn't mean to literally gorge your eye out. But listen, if it's between you going to hell 
in theory what he's talking about? Yeah, I'd gorge that eye out. But he's asking us to repent. Wisdom tells us it is better to go through the pain. Listen, church. It's better to go through the pain of getting rid of the bad habit or something we treasure than to allow that sin to bring corruption into our life, condemnation into our life, and ruin our family, ruin our friends, and ruin our church. It's better to get rid of it. Take every necessary action uh, to remove sin from your life. Uh, No matter how much temptation it is, give your heart to Jesus and stop the insanity. And stop the insanity. The teaching for us is clear to clean up your heart, train your heart out to stop lusting, to stop desiring, to stop craving sinful ideas to commit adultery or fornication. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14. Hebrews 5 14. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern between good and evil. We can discern between good and evil, and we can train our senses to stop following after the ways of sin. Americans, you you guys have heard the term bucket list. Mm Mm-hmm, probably all of us. Americans love to experience things. We've trained ourselves in this, to experience things before we die. If adultery is on your bucket list, you need to get rid of it. If you're single and fornication is on your bucket list, you need to get rid of it. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ and and pursue Him. You, You pursue Jesus to touch the hem of His garment. Pursue Christ that... Uh, you show him that these things, and when you're faced with the temptation to do that, you you say, no, I'm not going to do that. Walking in your Holy Spirit means more to me than to walk in that sin. And you just made God smile. You just made him smile when you say no to the world and yes to the Holy Spirit. We need to Honor our friends and family in our church. Honor God by dealing with the lust and the lasciviousness that's in our culture, trying to make its way into our heart. Let's pray. God, we all have tasted of your goodness, and it has satisfied us, and, and it's made us hunger for more. It's made us thirsty to thirst after you. God, forgive us for the times that we thought that the world had something to offer us. Forgive us for the times that the devil put something in front of us and we thought the devil had a better plan, a better plan than your plan. And forgive us, dear God, for the lust and lasciviousness, no matter how it shows up in our life, that we that we've, are out of control. We thank you, dear God, the triune God, And we want you to know that we long for you. And that we, epithomia, we eagerly desire you. I pray, dear God, for those in the assembly today that have begun to desire other things than you. They they lust for those things. And you get second place. 
or third place or maybe no place at all. And so I pray, dear God, for them. I pray, Father, for the one, the, the, the man or the woman, that, the boy or the girl that needs to come to Jesus and give their life to him and dedicate and surrender and give their allegiance, their heart to Christ. And they need to repent in private prayer. They, they need to be baptized into Christ and let that new man, that new woman, that new person rise out of that watery grave. So that's our heart's desire, fathers, to, just to be right with you, to be clean with you. And that only comes through Jesus. And so bless us now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.